Hi, I'm Wilson King, and this is my completely unhinged rant on ADD history. Episode 5, The Megalithic Age. In the next episode on the end of the Ice Age, I got to about 10 minutes of ranting about the Sphinx and realized this subject really needed its own episode. Really, it deserves its own podcast. I'll admit it, this show isn't a story, it's a rant. I get fired up about this. Megalithic structures in the end of the Ice Age are related, however, because the amazing structures I will detail in this episode might be the only remaining evidence of the civilization that built them. That was like 13,000 years ago, by the way. The lack of visual aid will be particularly missed in this episode, but I'm assuming you're driving or running a chainsaw, so you should probably pay attention to what's in front of you. There's a lot to unpack on this, but it is a subject of serious controversy right now, because a lot of the aspects of this time are difficult to prove either way. The really strange details of these structures are often very difficult to find, but luckily I've been obsessively gathering information on the subject since I was about 12. Definitive proof about anything is not a luxury we can often afford when discussing megalithic structures. These structures are all over the planet, with remarkable similarities, and we don't know when, why, or how they were built. People from both the respectable establishment and the lunatic fringe insist that they have airtight answers to the how, when, and why of the megalithic structures, but most of these answers are flimsy at best, and there is truly no way to know. Around 12,000 years ago, the Ice Age ended, which is the subject of the next episode. It's impossible to not bring that up here, though, because the events of that time effectively wiped out whatever civilization probably existed before that cataclysmic time. The scientific establishment insists that human civilization crawled out of their caves around 6,000 years ago, and essentially all of humanity were hunter-gatherers before that time. That narrative is falling apart right now, though as at least one very advanced structure called Gobleki Tepe is proven to be 11,600 years old, and many others are proven to be from around that time or likely a lot older. Gunan Padang, a pyramid on the island of Java, has had carbon dating that suggests construction probably started at least 24,000 years ago. To start, let's address the question of when were these structures built? There's effectively no way to assign a date to a structure built entirely out of stone. Stone cannot be carbon dated, but the surroundings of a stone structure can be. Unfortunately, there's a pretty clear flaw there, because the material dated could have been from practically any time before or after its construction. In some cases, one can drill down to the ground level of such a structure and get a carbon sample that might be reliable. That's how they figured out the stuff with Gunan Padang, the pyramid on Java. Anyway, at best, organic material between the blocks of such a structure could theoretically be carbon dated, but one would have to partially disassemble the structure to do that, and... Fuck you if you do that. And then they'd have to find organic material there. Which, pretty unlikely a lot of the time. These structures are often built of stones that are so massive that we would have difficulty moving them today, if we could at all with modern technology. Often the stones are cut and fit together with such precision that human hair can't fit between them. In plenty of cases, the stones used to build a given structure starts out lumpy and irregular, but appear to have been melted or liquefied in some way to get them to fit together in a state of nearly absolute perfection. I'll come back to that insane statement later. These are all important points that will be addressed many times in this episode, but for the moment, there are reasons why getting organic material for dating from between the stones would be extremely difficult, and it's rarely been done. One way to get a date on a stone structure is from the geological study of its erosion patterns, 
in the rare cases that the structure hasn't been modified in the time between construction and now. We'll get back to that concept soon. While we're here, it's important to mention that most of these amazing buildings have been defaced in one way or another since they were built. Often, almost always, somebody has mined them for stone. For the structures that provided a good place to fortify against an attack, they were often chewed up by conflict. Treasure hunters have destroyed many a priceless artifact or historical monument looking for something to melt down or pawn off. It's a shame, but it's reality. Then, of course, there's guys like ISIS that have this weird tendency to blow things up because they have some fucked up view of their own religion, and uh, I hate those guys. Anyway, moving on. Next is the question of why did anyone take the time to build these... things? The generally accepted answer is that many or all of the strange structures were built as part of religious beliefs or rituals. Whether or not that's why they were built originally, it is clear that most of them became some part of a religious tradition later on. This is further complicated by how many structures of this kind there are and the many uses they could have had when they were originally constructed. Respectable academics would scoff at this point, but it is worth considering that some of these structures were built as infrastructure of technology that we no longer possess. One thing that can't be overstated is that many of these ancient structures are aligned with stars, etc., with ridiculous precision. Stonehenge, the Pyramid, Serpent Mound, Gobleki Tepe, the list of incredible structures with hard-to-pronounce names can go on for quite a while. I can't stress enough how well most of these structures are aligned with the astronomy things they are aligned with, but I assure you that you'll get tired of hearing me talk about it by the end of the episode. While we're on the subject, there's an important astronomy concept involved with many of these structures. The precession of the equinox, in simple terms, is a gradual tilting of where the stars appear from our perspective on Earth. Our planet has a rather important 23.5 degree tilt, and that tilt wobbles over the course of time, with the axis we are spinning on making a full circle every 26,000 years. I know that's all kind of a hard-to-understand jumble without some kind of image to demonstrate it, but this is important in the context of these structures because they are usually aligned with the stars. Importantly, their alignment with the stars implies a date when they were built, because it wouldn't make much sense to perfectly align them with where the stars appeared in the sky thousands of years before they were built. It implies a date of construction, often earlier than what is accepted. It's unclear why cultures around the planet were building these structures with such ridiculous precision, but something along the lines of religion is as good a guess as any. It is clear that they were obsessively good at aligning these structures with the stars all over the planet, and they clearly made a point to do so often. Perhaps they put in all this effort because they hadn't yet invented calendars with photos of puppies on them? The other possibilities can go in some very strange directions quickly. I promise not to bring up aliens, but... aliens. Anyway. Finally, the question of how the fuck did they build these things? The word megalith means big stone, and that is not an exaggeration. Often, some of the stones used to build these ancient structures around the planet are over a hundred tons, and they were clearly moved from other, very distant locations. Sometimes they were moved hundreds of miles or up steep mountain faces. I'm going to mention weight and tonnage quite a bit in this episode. Just to make the idea of one ton clear, imagine a very small car. Tiny, like a Mini Cooper or something. That weighs about a ton. Now gather all of your friends and see how many of you it takes to fully lift it off the ground. If the tires are still touching, that's cheating. Afterwards, when Tom is thrown out his back and you and your 12 strongest friends are drinking beers or planning where to get them, consider this. You and your 12 boys barely picked up that car, and you definitely didn't carry it that far. The car has plenty of places to grab it and pick it up. Now imagine picking up something that weighs double with no good place to grab it. It's a lot of effort. 
The dry number of 100 tons really doesn't get across the absurdity of that weight. It's 200,000 pounds. The Egyptians built a statue that weighed 1,000 tons. What was that guy compensating for? Stones of this size and weight simply cannot be moved in one piece by the most powerful modern technology. Well, okay, fine, they can technically, but it's such a ridiculous and expensive undertaking that it's basically never done. It's mind-numbingly impractical. The idea that this kind of thing was done with muscle power of humans or animals is just laughable. The question of how something like that was moved is further complicated by the amazing refinement of these stones. Often the stones are perfectly smooth and even. Some of these structures include absolutely amazing interior machining, like the milled inner pieces of an engine, but somehow carving perfect right angles into very specific designs into the stone. This precision could barely be achieved with a modern CNC router, especially on stone, let alone with chisels and hammers. Then there's the incomprehensible structures made out of stones in a natural polygonal shape, which were then somehow molded together to fit perfectly. It's as if they were able to take, like, gigantic school bus-sized rough-shaped stones and then just turn all of their edges into jello for an instant, fit it in with all the similar stones, and then return it all to one of the hardest substances known to mankind. To top it off, the exterior of such structures is then roughly flat with a touch of natural texture that would make a table extra expensive. I've heard that the exteriors of these structures sometimes appears to be vitrified, which is what happens to stone during a nuclear explosion. The outside turns to a liquid for a moment from the extreme heat, but the inside remains unchanged because of the brief duration of the heat. Certain castles in Scotland also show this effect, on far less impressive medieval castles. That is, also very strange and attributed to dragons, if I remember correctly, but clearly more recent. A man-made structure being subjected to those levels of heat for short durations leads to all sorts of sci-fi speculation, like heat rays or something like that. It's vaguely possible that the Scottish castles that are known for this were melted intentionally by their builders with really intense and impractical-to-create fires for weeks at a time, but the other examples from across the planet seem far more unlikely. Words cannot do justice to the incredible engineering done to create these structures or the stones used to make them. These are the sorts of mysteries that an honest, open-minded observer can't explain. Many of them appear to have been built with technology so advanced that, even from our modern perspective, it could be described as magic. While the megalithic structures across Earth all have unique styles of their regions, it is clear that at some point humans across Earth had an incredible mastery of the use of stone as a building material that we no longer possess in the same way. It is unexplainable, especially if one is operating from the assumption that all of these distant cultures had no contact with each other. In the chapter explainer episode I did at the beginning of the season, I mentioned my two theories of telephone theory and lost object theory. To just refresh those points a little bit, telephone theory is the idea that a perfectly rational story can get really weird when it becomes a myth over the course of thousands of years. Lost object theory makes the case that almost any object would be broken down by time or recycling in a thousand years. The exception is anything that would be sealed up in ideal conditions before discovery. Unfortunately, there's a pretty good chance that when it's unsealed, the person who discovered the artifact is more likely to be interested in getting rich than preserving history. Both these points are good to keep in mind when discussing these ancient megalithic buildings. There are often legends associated with them, but it's worth pondering what original events may have led to those stories. Buildings made out of rocks that are many tons each will last a very long time, but the tools and stuff involved with making them would not. Before we dive into the structures themselves, I'd like to bring up another point to keep in mind when thinking about all of these ancient megalithic structures. Life is hard. 
It's hard now, and this may be one of the easiest times in history to be alive as a human. We have lots of food, almost no Viking raids, and even a lot of the people who have it bad now have it pretty good compared to their ancestors. Life was pretty brutal in the past, and avoiding being killed, enslaved, or starving to death was pretty much a full-time job most of the time. This is even true from the perspective of a god-king that still had to keep their subjects alive and their borders uninvaded. No matter how much unchecked power a ruler had, they still needed to be somewhat practical in how they spent all of their manpower and resources. Keeping that in mind, let's imagine how ridiculously difficult it is to build a perfectly engineered giant stone structure on top of a mountain. This is more common than you'd think, and it's a pretty ambitious project, which means either A, it's critical to staying alive, or you truly believe some god will wipe you off the face of the earth for not building it. B, you've got practically infinite surplus labor and nothing better to do, so you might as well. Or C, you have the ability to build this crazy thing with such ease that the logistics of it all are not really that big of a deal. For everyone who is immediately going to yell, SLAVERY! Yeah, sure, you can get a lot done with a thousand people that have guns to their heads. Fine. But it's not fucking magic. Telling a thousand or a million poor bastards that you own them doesn't change the laws of physics. The Egyptians made not one, but two statues that were 750 tons each, and then moved them 400 miles from where they quarried them. How the fuck did they do that? Why the fuck would you do that? I build things. I built the floor that I'm laying on in my underwear. It's 16 by 30. If I could have built it out of a single piece of solid granite, I totally would have. Sure, I want my house to be here in 20,000 years. You know why I didn't? That's because it would have cost tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds. They have to cut the stone out of just the right spot and remove it. If it's a foot thick, it's going to weigh a lot. If it's any thinner, it's going to shatter when you look at it wrong. Then you have to move it with a truck. You're going to have to custom build a trailer with wheels like a centipede around the piece of stone. Then you have to find the biggest, most redneck truck on earth to pull this trailer, and you can't go on an incline more than one degree, fit on a small road, or go faster than a walking pace. Then you need to find five or ten cranes to move this thing off the truck with some delicate ballet of hydraulics. When you're all done, you think to yourself, man, this place would still last like 10,000 years if I made it out of smaller stones. My point is, it's not reasonable. Let's just assume these people aren't batshit crazy and ludicrously impractical for one second. They made things out of stones this big because it wasn't that big of a deal. That's the only logical answer. They had a way to do this casually because they made things out of stones that don't make sense all the time at some point. I don't know how, but they did it. It's always assumed that these structures were built with tools and techniques so primitive that they don't generally include metal tools, levers, or pulleys. When it's granted that metal tools, at least, have to have been some part of the picture, the tools and methods which are hypothesized are absurdly impractical. For example, this is the proposed method of cutting the stone for the pyramids. The official idea is that they made a groove in the stone, and then poured sand into the groove, then ran long bands of copper back and forth in the groove to make the cut. No modern person has demonstrated this method with a single cut, but it's clear that the copper ribbon saw blades would wear out constantly. The most beaten-down Egyptian slave would have rather jumped in the mouth of a crocodile than rub a ribbon of copper into a piece of limestone for 16 hours or more to make one cut. Since the cut from this method would look like a mountain range does from above, they would presumably have to sand it down afterwards to get the finish that we see now. When we consider that they had to make 14 million perfect cuts to make a single Great Pyramid, without counting all of the time and effort of quarrying, transporting, or construction, unlikely is kind of an understatement. 
Either those laborers were on some truly amazing drugs, or they had a more efficient way of doing things. I'm not really going to speculate on how they did this stuff, but there's a lot of references and theories involving sound waves to move these stones. Maybe it's some kind of sonic levitation. If you're not familiar with the concept, check it out. It's pretty cool. Who knows, though? I don't. And if I figure it out, I'm not telling you, because I don't want to end up dead in an Arby's parking lot. It's hard for modern people who are used to having Wi-Fi on casual flights across the oceans to accept the idea that ancient people may have known something that we don't. After all, we live in a time that is more advanced than any period we can remember. It is possible that we aren't as advanced in some ways as ancient times that we have forgotten, though. If there were one or many technologically advanced civilizations on Earth back before the end of the Ice Age, as there are today, the similarities and complexities of these structures aren't very surprising at all. This is speculation, but it appears to me that whatever technique was used to casually move and shape stone was known globally to some degree. There's no way to really back that up, it's more of a hunch, but after years of obsessively studying the subject, it's an idea to keep in mind as I detail all these structures from around the world. So, on to the buildings themselves. Let's start with the famous symbol of ancient Egypt, the Sphinx. This famous lion man sculpture, statue, structure? is carved out of a sandstone bluff near the pyramids of Egypt. It's worth mentioning that the ancient Egyptians themselves said their civilization had existed for something like 40,000 years, back in 500 BC or so. That's about 200 times the amount of time that passed between curing diseases with leeches and our time of smartphones and satellites. They totally could have been lying too, but that's their story. They also said that they started out as a colony of the global civilization of Atlantis, which I will get into in the next episode. Anyway, a man called Robert Chalk studied the erosion patterns of this giant sandstone sculpture and determined that it must have been at least 14,000 years old. If it was made 5,000 years ago, they intentionally carved in 10,000 years of water erosion to fuck with us. It's actually pretty funny. He did this, like, presentation to a bunch of geologists where he showed just, like, the paw of the Sphinx, and all of them agreed, like, oh, yeah, that's definitely, like, 14, maybe 20,000 years of water erosion. And then he, like, zoomed out the picture, and it's the Sphinx, and they're like, oh, I didn't mean that. That, no. No, 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 that's not that old. No way. Anyway. Conventionally, it's thought to be somewhere around 4,500 years old, but that's frankly utter bullshit. The head is too small for the perfectly proportioned body, and it seems like some megalomaniac pharaoh had his stupid face carved into the existing but already eroded face of what was once a lion a couple thousand years ago. Then Napoleon supposedly blew off the humanized nose with a cannon, but that's a story for another time. Also, probably not true, but it's cute. Especially for people who hate Napoleon, which apparently the guy who made the movie hated Napoleon. Anyway, even now they are renovating this structure, and one of the front paws has been refinished in new blocks of stone, much to the irritation of anybody who has respect for the past. Remember, the original construction was carved from one piece, not made out of blocks like it was made by a gigantic preschooler. Who knows how many generations of morons have renovated this ancient structure, but it is positive that they all made it harder to understand it as an artifact from a lost time. There are tunnels into and under the Sphinx that one can enter around the butthole area of the giant cat, which are completely off-limits. There is no information on what's in those tunnels, but if one tries to find out, they quickly find themselves in a very unpleasant Egyptian jail cell. Some have speculated that there is a doorway at the base of the neck that leads to the back of the statue, but who knows, no one's allowed to look. On that note, a fun fact for the ancient alien nerds, the back of the Sphinx is a pretty fantastic place to land a vehicle on, especially when the area was covered in jungle. If there was a doorway on the back of the neck, that's the entrance to the elite champagne and cocaine lounge. Food for thought. 
Also, they've found cocaine in a couple of these mummies, which is weird because that only grows in South America. Anyway, the Sphinx endured rain for thousands of years in a time where Egypt was a jungle. That area of Egypt hasn't been a jungle in about 12,000 years. It also may have been submerged underwater for a while and in some epic flood. For those reasons, it is probably at least 14,000 years old, and the people who built it obviously weren't spending all their time hunting and gathering. They were carving a giant lion out of sandstone, for some reason. On the topic of Egyptian statues, I'll give an honorable mention to the almost completely unknown Colossi of Memnon, a pair of statues that weigh around 780 tons each. Those incomprehensibly massive stones were moved around 400 miles, somehow. I won't even bother explaining how impossible it would be to make that happen. Furthermore, they are statues offering zero practical utility. In other words, they just did this for shits and giggles. There was another colossal statue at a place called the Ramesseum, which weighed around 1,000 tons. It lays shattered now, in spite of the fact that it wasn't built in a way that was likely to fall over. This suggests that some incomprehensible amount of force caused it to topple, which only leads one to wonder what could possibly cause that. Next are the most famous megalithic structures on Earth, the Great Pyramids of Giza. More recently built pyramids might have been burial sites. No one has ever found a mummy in a pyramid, as I understand, but whatever. I couldn't verify that, but sadly the only thing that you can ever really verify about pyramids in general is that they exist. More recent pyramids are built with smaller and rougher stones and covered in hieroglyphic art. Meanwhile, there are plenty of more recent tombs in Egypt, not pyramids, where most of the mummies came from. They were filled with piles of stuff for the mummified dude to take with him to the afterlife, and all sorts of evidence that they were built in the well-documented period of the ancient Egyptians that we all know about. The Great Pyramids were built much better long before they were, and there is no direct evidence that they were built as gigantic gravestones for megalomaniac pharaohs. To be clear, zero bodies of any kind were ever found in the Great Pyramids. They were supposedly built 4,500 years ago, but the evidence for this is a reference to a building project in the area, and it never specifically mentions what was being built or renovated. The Great Pyramids lack any of the mummies or ceremonial stuff of the later structures and pyramids, with no hieroglyphic carvings or reliefs, and their carnivorous chambers were supposedly empty when first explored. <laughs> I, I mean, cavernous, by the way, not carnivorous. The, I don't think the chambers were eating meat, I suppose. I hope. Then again, when the Great Pyramids were first broken into is impossible to pin down. The reality is, is that one could spend weeks looking for specific anecdotes about how anybody came to the conclusions they did about the pyramids, and they will still find themselves looking at the same pile of articles that all say exactly the same thing and never answer any specific questions. There's a strange degree of secrecy maintained about the Great Pyramids, and the scientific studies of them are subject to approval by the authorities. Those who don't back the official narrative about the pyramids are usually denied access. The truth is, we really don't know how, when, or why they were built. What we do know is what follows. The largest pyramid of the three was built with around 2.3 million blocks of stone, most of which appear to be around 4 by 4 by 6 feet. I say appear because it is absolutely impossible to find specifications on them, but they obviously weigh a lot, around 2.5 tons, and were cut with great precision. There are many gigantic granite blocks, weighing around 80 tons each, that hold up the ceiling of the main chamber. These massive granite blocks were quarried over 500 miles away, and how they were moved there or brought up to the altitude where they are placed is a much-debated mystery. It is clear that it would be practically impossible to pull this off even now. The top of the pyramid was covered in gold, for some reason. 
The pyramid is 481 feet tall, and each side is 750 feet long. The length of all the sides are within two inches of equal, and the base is level within an inch. I meticulously built my house that's 16 by 30 with modern equipment, and I'm almost positive that there's more variation in my relatively puny structure. It is likely that the pyramid was even more precise before the outer layer of limestone was removed to be used in other buildings later. The buildings are aligned perfectly with True North, with the northern and southern sides parallel with latitude lines. That is fucking incredible. To know True North instead of Magnetic North in that time with perfect accuracy is just unexplainable. We know now because of satellites. The Great Pyramids are aligned with the Orion constellation, with strange advanced mathematical references in their construction. That's out of my wheelhouse and requires some pretty deep explaining, but a man called Randall Carlson has an excellent four-hour presentation if you're interested on his website. Randall Carlson. That's the guy. Look him up. It's worth mentioning that the pyramids were built out of materials with interesting electrical properties. The stone in the core is electrically conductive, and the outer layer was non-conductive, like the plastic covering of electrical wire. They were capped in extremely electrically conductive gold at the top. They're built atop limestone caves, which fill and empty with water along with the Nile River's tides, and limestone is known to have interesting electrical properties. These structures were also built precisely on one of Earth's most powerful magnetic resonance points. That could be a coincidence, but it's a strange one. Nikola Tesla, the famous inventor of practically everything involving alternating current electricity, once built a wireless electrical transmitter that he said was based on how he believed the pyramids worked. That guy was the living cartoon of a genius, and he was known to be obsessed with the idea that the pyramids collected, stored, and transmitted wireless electricity. Tesla was so brilliant that he probably bordered on insanity, but it's interesting food for thought. If you're interested in the theory of how the pyramids may have been some kind of crazy electrical generator, teslapyramids.com makes a pretty fascinating case. The pyramids are an insane rabbit hole that one can get sucked into for years, but it's worth mentioning that there are pyramids all over the planet. They are in Bosnia, China, Indonesia, and all over the Americas. Most were not built like the Great Pyramids of Egypt, and many of them simply appear to be hills now after thousands of years. They do supposedly tend to be built on intersections of the mysterious magnetic resonance points called ley lines, though. I'm not sure if this next pyramid is built on the ley lines, or if ley lines are actually a thing outside of the minds of New Age hippies who own their own body weight in crystals, but this may be the oldest structure on Earth that we know of. Kunan Padang is a pyramid on the island of Java. It's made of dirt and naturally occurring hexagonal prisms of basalt. When I say prisms, I mean the geometrical shape, not the famous cover art of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. These basalt columns totally don't look naturally occurring, but as I understand, it's a result of how the igneous stone cools after its volcanic creation. These unique stones appear to be rather common in the islands of the Southwest Pacific, and even appear at times in the British Isles, specifically Ireland. The structure is built of retaining walls made of these hexagon stones, which hold together dirt. LiDAR surveys have showed three large chambers inside it, like the Egyptian pyramids, that have never been explored in any way, shape, or form. Building that thing is a project that, you know, anybody could pull off with tens of thousands of friends over the course of several lifetimes. An archaeologist drilled down into this stepped pyramid and found multiple layers of evidence of civilization. The archaeological establishment hasn't liked his findings, though, as the earliest layer of human construction at this structure was carbon dated to 24,000 years ago. The idea that humans were doing anything but hunting and gathering at that time basically rewrites history, if the people who write history will ever accept it as credible. Please note, the only evidence that these findings are not credible is because they don't fit the accepted assumptions. 
An interesting point is that Java wasn't an island back then before 13,000 years ago, but was the highlands of a whole subcontinent off of Asia because the sea levels were so much lower during the Ice Age. It is probable that humans were up to a lot in that area at that time, but most of the land that existed there is now underwater. Modern Indonesia consists of the highlands of the former continent. About 3,600 miles to the east is the half-sunken city of Nan Madal. It's on one of the islands of Micronesia that are very much in the middle of nowhere in the Pacific Ocean. This strange collection of structures is built out of similar basalt columns to the Indonesian pyramid, and it's assumed that it was built in the water, a canal city similar to Venice in Italy. Officially, it started to be built around 1100 AD, though I haven't seen any actual justification for why that date was picked. Maybe there's a good one, but on a lot of these mysterious ancient buildings, it seems like they just kind of slapped a date on it because it sounds right and fits the narrative. It's unclear why the ancient people of this Micronesian island would bother to build all of this underwater when there was a perfectly good island right next to it. Of course, the other possibility is that they built these impressive rock structures before they were underwater, which seems like a much more logical move for humans, who do tend to live on land. While there's no dating or evidence that these structures were built during the Ice Age, it makes a bit more sense than them being built more recently. Regardless of when it was built, the legend of how it was built is pretty interesting. Allegedly, a pair of wizard twins showed up on a large boat from the stereotypical lost magical kingdom looking for a place to worship the god of agriculture. As specific as that story is, it's a shockingly common story from around the world about how their civilization started. Seriously, in the research I've been doing on the super ancient period of history, I can't tell you how many times I've read a story about one or more wizards from Magicland that showed up on a notably large boat and are sexually aroused by growing corn. Either ancient people from around the world who didn't know each other all happened to make up the same story, or somebody was running around the planet at some point in a large boat and or canoe, selling everybody on agriculture. I think there's a pretty specific point in the timeline where the big boat wizard went around the planet, but that's a discussion for the next episode. Next is another oddly recurring motif. The wizard twins built their temple to agriculture by levitating the stones into place with the help of a dragon. Just gonna throw this out there while we're on the subject, but it is pretty strange that cultures from basically every area of Earth have stories about dragons. Half the time, the big boat corn wizard guy has a dragon friend or is himself a dragon. It's one thing when England and China both have stories about giant, flying, talking, fire-breathing lizards, because weird stories can really get around a continent. But... When people from America in the middle of the Pacific Ocean are throwing around stories about almost exactly the same very unusual creature, it does start to make me question whether there's some kind of truth to it. A point I find a little comical is that the dragons are almost always depicted as wise and helpful in the stories from practically every populated continent on Earth, except for Europe. In Europe, they steal livestock and hoard gold and imprison beautiful women from noble bloodlines for no particular reason. Maybe the problem is you, Europe. Everybody else got along just fine with the dragons. While the giant head statues on Easter Island don't generally fit this episode's theme of being practically impossible to build, it seems wrong not to mention them. There are 900 of these statues called Moai. To be fair, these statues do usually have bodies under the heads, but they are cartoonishly small in relation to the heads and almost always buried. Most of them are made from fairly soft compressed volcanic ash, which would make carving them easier than most types of stone, and they aren't so large that moving them requires a good relationship with a dragon. Still, there are some outliers, and the earliest stories say a king moved Moai statues with the help of a bird god. Typical. Of the Moai statues that do make you wonder, 
How did they do that, and why did they bother? There are two that are over 90 tons each, which is mind-numbingly heavy, and they stand about 30 feet tall. 13 of the 900 moai are carved from basalt, which is very hard and dense. Those would have taken some pretty serious tooling to carve. The theory on how they could have moved the average-sized 13-foot-tall moai is pretty solid by pulling them with ropes from two directions and walking them forward. I'm not sure if that would work very well for the particularly gigantic ones, though. Unfortunately, the Rapa Nui culture that lived on this island and made the moai don't have many solid answers. It appears that there was an ecological collapse because they cut down every tree on the island in the 1600s, and there were island-wide wars over the remaining resources until the Europeans showed up. Chances are that they then had a smallpox apocalypse, because that's what always seems to happen after the Europeans show up. Then, in a sadly common story, their own culture was largely erased by the Spanish Catholic missionaries that came to the island afterwards. You know, having your own culture is basically the same thing as worshipping Satan. What we do know is that many Moai statues were abandoned in the quarry in a hurry, with the tools dropped like the stonemasons just went out for lunch. Seven Moai stand on the hill looking out at the sea, probably the most well-known of the statues. These Moai were allegedly erected to watch for the true king to return, possibly on a large boat with promotional material about our lord and savior agriculture. I bet he's a dragon, too. Anyway, moving on to the east, we now come to the great and strange megalithic structures of the Americas. These are some of the most impressive megalithic structures on Earth, and some of the hardest to explain. Some of these structures can really blow minds, and I'm barely going to scratch the surface of this topic. There was a lot of very interesting stonework being done in South America long before the Europeans showed up, but I'm just going to mention some of the strangest examples. We'll start with the famous Incan site of Machu Picchu in Peru. A casual Google search will tell you that it was built around 1450, based on carbon dating from around that site. The part they don't mention in that assertion is that there are two obviously different forms of construction used at the site. This is referred to as cultural layers, although an earlier culture is not officially acknowledged at Machu Picchu. That's not even what it was called by the Incas. We don't know what they called it, but Machu Picchu just means old mountain in the local language. Not Spanish, obviously, but uh, Quechua, I believe it's called. Anyway. What can be assumed to be more recent construction is made out of fairly small stones, cut in such a way that no mortar had to be used. It is very impressive, but not mind-blowing. It is built on top of some very large stones that now make up the foundations of some parts of the site, which were cut and set with laser precision. The conventional perspective says that massive stones were supposedly dragged up the sheer mountain face by hundreds or thousands of people at once. While that might be possible, it would be a really ridiculous way to get things done. It appears that these larger stones may have been there earlier, and the Incas built on top of the ruins that were already there. That's probably, what, that's probably the deal, to be honest. I'll once again refer to the idea of how difficult it would be to build something like this. Machu Picchu is built on a mountaintop, but the stones are from a lower elevation. Either there was a life-or-death reason that the foundations of these structures needed to be built with impractically large stones, or moving them there wasn't really that big of a deal for some reason. The site clearly had a lot of cultural and religious significance to the Incans before the wildly destructive arrival of the Spanish conquistadors. Unfortunately, we now have to guess at a lot of it because the Spanish had a habit of burning the local historical documents when they showed up, because Jesus... Now, personally, I didn't know the guy, but I actually think Jesus wouldn't have approved of very much of what the Spanish did when they showed up in South America. Regardless, if we had any of the information that the conquistadors bravely erased from history, it might clear up a lot of the questions about this place. It is pretty typical for places such as these to be built on pre-existing ruins, as it appears in this case with the different stonework and parts of the foundations. 
There is a famous rock that's known to have some kind of energy to it. That's impossible to measure, but many people who touch the rock report that there is something going on with it. Machu Picchu, like the Great Pyramids, is built on a major intersection of the magnetic ley lines network. The fact that the subject is considered woo-woo hippie nonsense is probably part of why we don't have much respectable science on the topic. This next one has been one of my favorites since I was a boy, because it is insanely weird and it screams built by aliens. Now, I'm not saying it was built by aliens, but it's a favorite of ancient alien theorists for a reason. The structure is called Pumapunku, part of a larger site called Tiwanaku in Bolivia. It is a gigantic gate to nowhere, apparently, among other things. There seems to have been eight such gates at some point, but the structures have endured a ton of abuse between whenever they were built and now. There's also this really strange gallery with faces carved from stone that apparently depict the different people of Earth, which are all set in the wall. They're pretty eroded now for the most part, but the features of Africans, Europeans, Asians, and others seem to be depicted. I also can't not mention that one of these faces looks almost exactly like a stereotypical gray alien. That might just be a really strange coincidence. Maybe it just eroded into that shape that's inconveniently familiar to people who spend way too much time on YouTube at 3am. Yeah, let's go with that. Obviously, people have been renovating and using the site for a very long time, with at least three layers of remodeling, but it was officially built 1,500 years ago according to the cherry-picked carbon date. I seriously doubt that that's actually true. Of course, there's evidence that points to the idea that it's been there much longer, and a man called Arthur Poznanski, sorry, Polish names are difficult, believed from the geological evidence and when the stars lined up right that this site was 11 to 17,000 years old. That seems about right to me. That's obviously not possible, because some stuffed shirt at a university says so, and if it were true, he'd have to admit that his dad was right all along, and his whole career has been a lie. Anyway, I think basically everything about this place is so inconvenient to archaeologists that they'd rather just not bring it up or think about it. There's a whole issue where anyone who brings up evidence of a place being older than the establishment wants it to be basically loses everything and then gets labeled a quack. I brought that up a lot, but it's why there's so much fighting over the date when all these structures were built. Most of the structures I've mentioned so far could have possibly been done by giant groups of people over long periods of time, if they had nothing better to do, which is really, really unlikely. The perfection and scale of some of these structures might make it unlikely, but one can stretch into the idea that Stone Age people might have been able to pull them off. I'm just going to go ahead and say that there is absolutely no way Tiwanaku was built without some form of advanced technology. Go ahead, fight me. This place is ridiculous. It features stone blocks, which are glassy smooth, one of which is estimated to weigh around 144 tons, with many others in a similar weight class. For the record, that's, again, incomprehensibly heavy. Even better, they were all brought up a steep hill from six miles away, and the best explanation they have for how they did that is that they dragged it with ropes made out of llama skin. Yeah, it's okay to admit that we don't know. It actually sounds a lot less stupid. In addition to the crazy size and weight of some of these stones is the crazy machining. There are many stones at this site called H-blocks because they were carved into an almost identical H-pattern. It almost appears that they were cast or molded into the shape because they are, like, completely uniform. Many other stones show very advanced machining, and it appears that when the site was first built, these stones fit together in a very specific way. These pieces appear to have been dovetailed together in a similar way to a very expensive handmade cabinet, but with stone, which is absolutely nuts. Also, it's 
fucking huge too. It's like uh, some gigantic doorway before it got again somehow mysteriously like blown over. The machining raises a lot of questions because very little of it could have been feasibly pulled off with drills, saws, or any modern or ancient tool I or anyone else can really think of. They have perfect 90-degree angles and corners cut into them all over the place. This interior milling would be hard to pull off one time in wood, but to do it exactly the same way over and over and over and over again in stone is unimaginable engineering challenge. The most recent story of Tiwanaku is that it was believed to be the place where the world began. Whatever that means. The local native culture was fond of taking lots of hallucinogens there in ceremonies. Sounds like my kind of party. Aside from that, it's just a mystery. One interesting aspect of this place is that the original structure appears to have been scattered like blocks kicked by an angry child. How these massive blocks were tossed all over the place has been a signature mystery of Tiwanaku, with people speculating about tidal waves and massive explosions and other wild and unlikely scenarios. Now it appears to be the ruins of ruins that were ruins that were harvested at some point to use in stone for other building projects, like some fucking railroad somebody built, which is pretty typical for these structures over the course of time. Can't get no respect. While it's not strictly a structure, I do have to mention the Nazca Lines in Peru. These are giant symbols and lines somehow carved into the ground, which add up to over 800 miles of lines. The symbols, often of strange stylized animals are only visible from the air. They're also magnetic. Obviously, that's like 10 layers of weird, so ancient alien nerds bring them up all the time because they seem to be some kind of strange billboard for passing flying saucers from a very, very long time ago. I'm not going to dwell on them, but they are right in the neighborhood of a lot of the most advanced megalithic structures on Earth. I am sure that's totally a coincidence. Before we get out of South America, there are a couple places where really massive stones seem to have been melted together. Yeah. What? In Europe, particularly Scotland, there are a bunch of castles made out of stone that appear to have been melted, and I've read explanations that they could have been done with a really hardcore bonfire. It's plausible, even likely. In the case of South America, the melted constructions happened at a scale that couldn't have plausibly been done by fire, often on mountainsides with blocks weighing up to 200 tons. There's a couple sites in South America that this strange wizardry appears to have been done. Saxe Waman is a good example of this, as are certain structures from the ruins of Olai Tayambo. Olan Tambo? Give me a break. Which are both interesting, but I'm not really going to dive into either of them. It's bad enough that I have to try to pronounce those words once. All this stuff is roughly in the same neighborhood, and assumed to be the work of the Incas. All these structures high in the Andes Mountains share this very unique, perfect stone shaping. To the degree that anyone is willing to acknowledge the possibility that any of this was intentionally melted somehow as part of the construction process, it's often dismissed pretty quickly. I don't know if the evidence that these structures were melted is true, but it would explain how these structures were made with stupid large stones that fit together so tight that you can't fit a human hair between them. If ancient people from who knows when could melt stone somehow, it rewrites history and teaches us modern people that we might not be as smart as we think we are. There are plenty of other megalithic structures in the Americas, like the pyramids in Central America, which are associated with the Mayans and the Aztecs. I've heard crazy rumors that one of these pyramids has a reservoir of mercury under it, which sounds nuts, but it's pretty interesting if that's actually true. That's one of those details that gets ignored by the typical archaeologist if it's discovered, an all-too-common practice for details of ancient structures that make one want to scream, What in the holy fuck? Also, there are now the remains of full-on cities being found with lidar along the banks of the Amazon. 
Some have speculated that this culture cultivated the Amazon jungle with its many edible and medicinal plants, just like a gigantic garden. Part of the evidence for this is a unique type of biochar soil that they appear to have made called terra preta, which has this incredible agricultural property to this day. I won't get into it super deeply, but it's basically magic soil. Like if you put like a teaspoon of it into like sand, it turns all of that into perfect soil for growing any crop ever. There's basically no way that that was naturally occurring. There are also a lot of other strange monuments that are less famous in North America, like Serpent Mound in Ohio and the Earthen Pyramids in the Southeast United States. Many of these have the strangely precise astronomical alignments that are kind of a fixture of these ancient structures. I've hinted throughout this podcast up to now that there was a cataclysmic change on Earth at the end of the Ice Age around 12,000 years ago. The details of that are the subject of the next episode. In the context of this episode, it's relevant because that event appears to have reshaped the landscape of North America specifically, in a way that would have simply erased any structure that was already there at the time. Sea levels raised 400 feet, which put a lot of prime real estate underwater. There's a structure called the Bimini Road that now lies just underwater near the island of Bimini, for example. If you want to dive into the ancient America subject, the book America Before by Graham Hancock covers the often controversial subject. It's all quite interesting and worth mentioning, but it's time to move on across the pond. So, in jolly England stands Stonehenge. A structure so famous that you are either a child or not from Earth if you haven't heard of it. For all its fame, it's actually kind of not that mind-blowing. I've been there. It's cool, but come on. Still, I'm obligated to mention it. But I will only do so to say that it does not really belong in this episode, aside from the fact that it does include some very impressive astronomical alignments. It was probably built by some mushroom-eating druids within the last 6,000 years or so. And while that is very cool, it's not impossible enough or old enough to really belong in this episode. Cooler, older, and less known are the megaliths of Malta. Gargantua is one of them, but there's a lot of them, aligned with the star Sirius in extremely specific ways. They're probably a lot older than the official story, and building them would have taken the willpower of about a billion dads having a midlife crisis. Yada yada yada, look into the megaliths of Malta if you're interested. There's a show by one of my favorite humans, Graham Hancock, who I just mentioned like five seconds ago, called Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix that goes into detail about these and a bunch of other stuff that I've mentioned here. In fact, I'm kind of riding his coattails, but it's an honor. God, I love that guy. Also worth looking into, but I'm barely going to mention it, is a place called Baalbek in Lebanon. I'm assuming that's Baalbek originally, named after the totally evil child sacrifice demon and or Cadenite god, Baal. That unpleasant character will come up again, believe it or not. I'm not a fan, neither were the Romans, and that's one place that we can all agree. Anyway, Baalbek was known as Heliopolis once some Greeks who were less enthusiastic about child sacrifice took it over. Later, the Romans built the Temple of Jupiter on top of it, too. It's been through a lot because it's right north of Jerusalem. That's a rough neighborhood, and everybody wants a piece of it. I'm mentioning it here because some of the oldest construction at this place was done with stones weighing 300 tons, and a bunch of them that weigh 800 tons. That's ridiculous, and I could get into other odd stuff about this place, but it's such a historically complicated and ancient site that I'm just going to let it be. I mean, I'd, I'd love to go into detail about it, but they seriously look this one up because... Baalbek is fucking weird. Anyway, I'm in a hurry because I want to get to Gobleki Tepe, a place with extreme significance to the history of Earth. The reason why is only becoming clear recently, 
as it appears to be a monument to a cataclysm that took place in the end of the Ice Age around 12,000 years ago. God, you are probably so tired of hearing me reference that. This complex has barely been explored, as the vast majority of it is still underground. It's underground because somebody buried it, intentionally, around 10,000 years ago. Yeah, this thing was made 11,600 years ago, give or take, right on the heels of the catastrophic end of the Ice Age, and about a thousand years later, somebody spent the time and effort to bury it. They either did this to hide it, but it seems more likely to me that it was buried so that it would be preserved for somebody to find it in the future. Or maybe they had their own version of ISIS that just liked to blow things up that are totally valuable to our human history. I'm never going to get over that. That someone who found it was a farmer who essentially tripped over a gigantic rock in his field. In 1994, it was first examined by archaeologists who found this rock was actually a carved megalithic monument, and in the 30 years since, they have uncovered a fairly small portion of the huge complex, like 5% of it. This place consists of T-shaped rocks, which are, of course, very large and very hard to move, with strange carvings of symbols on them, often in stylized animal shapes. Actually, they kind of look like some of the Nazca line things, but not going there. These are all in somewhat round rooms, which have turned out to have been made in very specific shapes. Generally, you'd think, who cares? Some caveman carved a bunch of oddly shaped lizards and shit onto a lot of 60-ton perfectly machined rocks. The reason it matters is that it appears to be a date code. These strange carvings are representations of constellations, and the stones that they're carved into align perfectly with extremely specific dates in the ancient past. It's ridiculously clever. They represented constellations on a rock, which pointed to a spot where those constellations were on an exact date. I won't explain exactly how that makes sense, because it would take forever, but it's so on point that it literally cannot be a coincidence. They knew we wouldn't be able to read anything they actually wrote down in the alphabet of a language that hasn't been spoken in 10,000 years, but we would be able to calculate the alignment that they represented, and that alignment marked a date, possibly down to the day. They built all of this to shove a date in our face. 12,800 years ago, the beginning of the end of the Ice Age, and a time of massive cataclysm across Earth. This structure was built at the end of that time of horrors, 11,600 years ago, when the climate stabilized and the Ice Age finished ending. That period of time, known as the Younger Dryas, is the subject of the next episode. Legend says that this structure and the many other megaliths nearby were built with the help and wisdom of, wait for it, the Big Boat Agriculture Wizard. Yep, same story. The dude showed up out of nowhere on the big boat with a beard, wearing robes, and carrying a handbag or a briefcase. In this case, he came with six other wizard friends, the seven sacred homies who started or restarted civilization. The briefcase thing is weird, but it is the symbol of this character and his friends everywhere on Earth, and is always represented with exactly the same shape, a handbag in the shape of like a briefcase. The guys who made Gobleki Tepe really wanted to get this across, and the handbag symbol is absolutely everywhere. Seriously, this symbol is on a lot of megalithic structures around this planet, but in this place, it's on, like, every fucking pillar. They put a ridiculous amount of effort into building this monument and aligning it all with the stars, and something like 1,500 years later, they put a lot of effort into burying it. Maybe somebody wanted to destroy it at the time, or maybe they knew that sometime in the distant future, people would eventually find it. And those people us, would need to be reminded of what the builders had lived through. In the place and time after this place was built, and later buried, is the beginnings of what is widely accepted to be the first settled civilizations on Earth that we can prove existed. 
South of this area is Sumeria, to the east is Babylon, to the west is Greece, and, well, nobody really went north because moving to Russia is always a bad move. Regardless, this area is called the Cradle of Civilization by normie anthropologists that don't believe in Atlantis. It is the first place that we can prove agriculture started, then large cities, then writing, and then coinage, etc., etc., etc. Kind of the whole point of this season of podcasts is that there was obviously a lot that happened before the widely accepted time of the beginning of civilization. But if so, this is where civilization restarted. Aside from China and the Indus River Valley, which they were doing some very impressive stuff too. I'd also argue that there were plenty of civilized people in the Americas at this time. But the end of the Ice Age was probably a really rough time for the people living there. So, the moral of this whole story, or rant. There's a lot that we've forgotten. I love modern technology. Well, okay, probably less than the next guy, but my point is, we really have no proof that we stand atop the pinnacle of human achievement in our modern world. While computers, jets, and electric guitars are really cool, we don't really know if that's the most advanced stuff that humans have ever done, and the surreal megalithic structures of our ancient past kind of make that point by the ton. Yeah, that was a pun. I have no shame. I don't know if people in the Ice Age had smartphones or YouTube, but if we're being honest, they were a lot better at stonework, and that's the only thing they made that would still exist after all this time. Who knows if they were cruising around in telepathically controlled flying cars, because we would literally have zero evidence of it whatsoever. The reason we have no evidence of it is the subject of the next episode, the apocalyptic end of the Ice Age. So, enjoy the modern world while we still have it, because that can all come crashing down. And maybe it has before. We'll explore all that and more on the next episode of Species with Amnesia. <laughs>